You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, Jared. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, As I said before, I think you guys have a, a bit of a unique product in the residential real estate landscape and anytime there's something unique i, I get excited about it I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd on this all this stuff anyway so but i genuinely uh stoked to have you here um for everyone listening i've got jared kessler he's co-founder and ceo of a company called easy knock you've probably heard of them a startup that's focused on helping homeowners tap into their equity and get the cash they need to purchase their next home without using the standard bridge loan product that much more uh, I'm going to start with this. Where'd the idea come from to start Easy Knock? Um, the idea for Easy Knock was I, I was writing a book about real estate technology. The name of the book was called Death of a Real Estate Salesman, play on you know the Arthur Miller play, uh, Death of a Salesman. And it wasn't uh-huh. meant to bash the real estate agent community. I love the real estate agent community. It was about raising the alarm that things are going to change significantly over the next decade. Uh, you know, we talked about in the book about the, the, you know, the buyer commission, the seller commission, all that stuff. And it really forced me to start realizing that there wasn't a lot of innovation in the biggest asset class in the world. So we started with like an idea. And by the way, if anyone ever tells you like the idea they started with is the idea they have today, they're lying. That's never happened. Uh, so uh, we started, we started with an idea and then, and then over time, uh, it evolved into one day we were like, wouldn't it be cool if people could be renters of their own home? And I didn't really understand why it would be needed, but it sounded cool because maybe you just want to give up the headache of ownership and let someone else deal with the maintenance side. But what we quickly realized over time was there was a major, major problem. And we actually accidentally found the solution by kind of talking about that. I'm happy to go into that, but uh, I'll pause there. No, I, I think that's good. I mean, you know, in the, the short amount of time that I was an abysmal failure as a residential real estate agent, I came across scenarios where, hey, we need to sell for XYZ reasons. We're going to rent for a few months until we figure out the next phase of stuff. But the challenge was, where do they go? Especially if you're in a tight and competitive market. And, you know, in the market I was selling in, less than 1% vacancy rate for residential rentals. And that's single family and and, and multifamily units. So like you could sell the house, but you generally still had a problem of like, where do you go from here? So, you know, I, I think that there's, there's likely uh, some truth that, that there's, there's going to be that. Um, I'll, I'll, and I do want, before we get into the, exactly the services and products you guys offer, you know, you talked about the book. Uh, I, I want to ask one more on that one of your, your predictions, what has come true? maybe like one or two and then also, or what you talk about in the book and then maybe like, is there anything that you were wrong about? Oh yeah. I'm always wrong. Um, what I was right about was that the, uh, 
the U.S. housing market is very broken in the way that the mortgage markets are set up right now. So um, when you when you have a when you have any sort of crisis, there usually is some sort of uh, group that comes in a regulatory body, government that comes in and they they want to fix it and they want to change it, and that's what you're supposed to do. But mm-hmm. pretty much every time that happens, there's always an unintended consequence, and I talk about that all the mm-hmm. time. And what happened was is because of subprime lending, um, people felt that they were given loans that people could not pay back, and that's the truth. The problem is, is when they tightened the restrictions for someone to qualify for a mortgage, I don't think they realized what damage that would do to the U.S. housing market. So what I mean by that is you have a FICO score under 680. That's half the country. You have to meet a certain debt to income ratio. 70% of the housing market today cannot meet that. So you have this massive trapped equity crisis going on in the United States right now. People think there's, there's record equity volume. Because inventory is low, it's not. It's because of what I just said, and the dots have not been connected. So that's something I was right about. Something I was wrong about was post-pandemic 2020, I thought the housing market was going to really have a major correction. And what I didn't account for was the fact that we had a frozen market where people didn't want to give up their low mortgage rates, and people that were buying wanted to see rates go down and renting was really hard because there's not a lot of opportunity. And if you have a low FICO score, you can't qualify. So we're, we're in, I like to call it a nobody's market right now. I, I think that's fair. That's totally fair. I'm seeing price corrections and, but still not enough buyer activity on it. Um, but I'm also still seeing, I think generally across the board nationwide, we're still actually seeing appreciation, which any amount yeah. of appreciation it is it's kind of mind-boggling like none of us would have like we would recall that a few years ago it was pretty set and standard interest rates go up people need to sell and you know prices should come down we hasn't been uh it should it, it this is not a book anyone's written yet so this will be um this will be studied for a long time i follow pretty closely i don't know if you do mike simonson from altos research and the yeah. charts that he puts out and i was looking at the other day i was like the last three years have been such anomalies as compared to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of, of real estate on record, even when we've gone through, you know, corrections, we've seen like a, a return to normal much faster, uh, I think, than, than what we're seeing this time around. Um, and for, 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 for you guys as a business, you got started in 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Nate, by the way, I could give you one more prediction. Um, oh, yeah. That... that in your lifetime, in my lifetime, and even like our parents, or even our grandparents, if you're lucky enough for them to be alive, and our and our kids, I don't think this is going to be the worst market you've ever seen. But I can pretty much guarantee this is going to be the weirdest market we're ever going to see. I'm not opposed to that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You get to be in the middle it's a, of it. It's it's a very weird market, like because of the dynamics we just talked about. Agreed. So of the dynamics, though, and all the things have changed. You guys got started in 2016. What has stayed the same? Um, our product from when we started buying homes, whenever, you know, slightly after that was, is the same product, is still the same product in our flagship product. It's called Sell and Stay. That's been consistent. Our, I mean, this is going to sound like we're trying to promote the company, but I'm really not. Like our, our, our desire to want to help people because we know, like, we're all mammals, right? And we're all, and we're, we're human beings and it's innate for us to want shelter. 
And when you take mm-hmm. that one innate need, just like food and water, I mean, it's right below that because you can live without, you can't live without food and water, but you need shelter. When you're messing with that, um, it, it can, it can impact people's mental health. It can, their physical health. Uh, they mm-hmm. have families. Mm-hmm. It, it could tear families apart. And that's always been important to, you know, compassion is a competitive advantage of ours. Oh, I love that. That's pretty cool. I'm going to write that down. Um, Thank you. All right. Well, so let's talk about Sell and Stay. The program details how it works. Yeah. So Sell and Stay is a sale lease back. For those that don't know what a sale lease back is, we, uh, we create a path for people to become a renter of their own home. So um, the way it works is, Let's let's use very round numbers, and I think examples are always the best way to help people understand how products work. So, hundred thousand yeah. dollar home, you have a ten thousand dollar mortgage on it, and you've built up. You know, you have all this equity. You have ninety thousand dollars of equity in your home, and you know, in the last two years, life has gotten more expensive. Right? Everyone, everyone's faced um, an increase in their expenses just naturally by inflation. So you're running mm-hmm. up your credit card bills. Unfortunately, you got, you know, you got a, you got a lot of needs in your life. So, and you don't have your asset rich and your choice poor. So the way sell and stay works is you come to Easy Knock within 30 seconds. Actually, it's like 10 seconds. You fill out a few questions. We have most of the information because it's a house, and the beauty of that is it's all a lot of its public records. And you tell us what you want to do. And if let's say you want to do a sale at least back through sell and stay and you're not moving in the next year, you want to stay a little bit longer because we have a product for that too. Uh, we will buy your home for a hundred thousand dollars. If that's what it appraises for, we match the appraisal. So it's a third mm-hmm. party, not us determining the price and we're not going to haggle over it. And it actually doesn't matter if we're wrong or you're wrong by a little bit. And I'll explain to you why, as I go through the example mm-hmm. and the way it works is we will give you up to 75% of that appraised value upfront. That's what we give you day one. Um, we buy the house for wow. cash and what we call an option consideration. So that piece of paper, that option consideration sits in your lease. You can pass it on to your kids. If, you know, if there's an unfortunate, you know, incident that happens and, you know, something happens and, um, and then you become a renter of your own home and you pay rent, you pay market rent. We use a third party for that too. And we pay the taxes, insurance, HOA. We, we make, we take care of all the fire, life safety repairs. We say you sell the headache, keep the home, sell the house, keep the home. And, and you can rent up to five years and we can, we can potentially renew that, but we always like to make sure it's very hard to give a lease for more than five years, but we, we would potentially uh, let the person stay even longer. And the question you may be asking is then what happens to that other 25%? Because we're not buying houses for a 25% discount. So at any moment during the five years, the next second after we buy the home, or you know the the fifth year on th- day three hundred sixty four, the owner turned tenant can either buy back the home for the cash we gave them plus a small exit fee, or they can control even though we take title to the home. So you're actually selling us your house, and we will allow them to hire a broker, sell it themselves, use an i buyer, whatever the hell they want to do. And they, it's, they're, they're in control because it's their economics. And wherever they sell the house for, minus whatever cash we give them, plus a small exit fee, they get all the upside in the home. So let's say the house goes to $500,000. They would receive 500 
We gave, let's say they took 75 up front, $75,000. They would take $475,000 in the back end. So, and then we deduct the fee that they're owed to us. That's like, you know, on average, two and a half percent of the purchase price that accrues and it gets paid out of the disposition. But our average customer gets about 32% appreciation. Wow. Okay. So I'm a marketing guy. And the first thing I start thinking about is how, how do I succinctly put this in front of consumers so they understand it right up? Because sale lease back in the commercial side, very common known terminology makes a lot of sense. Taking sales lease back to broad consumer, I'm guessing that doesn't always connect right off the jump. So what do you describe this as? Or is there like a, is there an, is this a new product category that you've had to really develop to push out to consumers? It's a new product category, an existing product like you just described. So it's not as hard as just creating something out of thin air because you could relate it to the commercial space. But mm-hmm. what I always what I always say to people is, look, look, if I was describing to you what a reverse mortgage is and we're not a lender, it would take me two hours. And I, I honestly, like this is all I do and I, I still can't even totally describe it. But I think it's a great product, but you have to be over 62. Um, our product's kind of much easier. It's like, you, we buy your home, we rent it back to you, here's your rent, and this is how it works on the back end. It takes literally mm-hmm. what I just said to you. And we visually, we show people all those different steps, and we market through direct-to-consumer, through search, when we have partners on the mortgage side and on the real estate agent side, because we're an alternative, especially for the 70% of the market that doesn't qualify. So we're not competing with the mortgage world. We're actually trying to get people to become lendable again, because when we do our product, your FICO score jumps pretty significantly because we take out the mortgage, they pay off their bills and we report their rent to the credit agency in some cases. So those okay. three things are like FICO repair and steroids. Wow. Yeah. And I am familiar with the, uh, being able to have a trade line added from your rent payments. It's about time. It just seems so crazy that that was never. So, you know, it was only what, two years ago that this two, three years ago, that this really started becoming a thing. Uh, HUD ran one of their first case studies in the, uh, I think it was Chicago market, uh, to to demonstrate that uh, reporting rent is a significant impact, not just for people who need help with credit, but particularly for those who are unbanked uh, or don't have a traditional bank, uh, that, that bill not getting tracked every month. It just makes a ton of sense. So, and you guys now have expanded, you have more than just the, the sell and stay product, you have the movability product, and that came kind of about through some acquisitions. Is that correct? The movability was something we organically built. But what happened was, is we were having all these customers coming in and they were leaving in a year and the fees for sellers, they were a little too high for someone that's just staying for a year. So we created a separate product. And all movability is, is you're stuck. You're in your house. The timing is always off, right? Between mm-hmm. buying and selling. You described that at the beginning. So you rent your own home. There's no buyback option. You hire a real estate agent and you're getting ready to move in the next year. And then you have money for your future home because we're giving you the same sort of structure. You have money for your future home. And by taking out the mortgage, we eliminated some of the contingency issues and the DTI obstacles in qualifying for a mortgage. So that's movability. Um, obviously, right now, there's not as much velocity on the moving side. So it's not as busy as sell and stay. But that's the beauty of our business is it's kind of we, we, we have things for the entire economic life cycle. Uh, that's pretty smart. I never, I, I didn't even consider that the, the ebbs and flows of how much people are moving or not moving 
Uh, and then also like, so they want to tap the equity. If it's a, if it's a moving time, great. You have the product for that. If it's not a moving time, great. There's a product for that. Can you like switch? Is there some sort of, is yeah. there a scenario where you actually like participate in both products? So we have, we, we just launched a transition product where you just have to qualify for the longer product because like there's a different underwriting process for staying for a year versus multiple years. So we, mm-hmm. we definitely have flexibility. So yeah, you can, you can convert if you, uh, if you're underwritten to do that. Got it. What are the core markets for you guys that you're seeing uh, most of your traction come from? So we're, we're in 48 out of the 50 states. Our three biggest markets are the wonderful state of Texas the wonderful state of Florida and uh, the wonderful state of Georgia. Do you precede all states with wonderful? I just didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. Once I set it for Texas, I didn't want to make Florida and Georgia feel bad. I mean, there's our three biggest. Oh. <laughs> I, I got to give them all props. because they, They've been wonderful to easy knock, I should say. And they are. Great hey, states. there you go. Do you see any differences geographically? Like between how consumers respond to product like this? Or is it kind of really the same anywhere you go? Oh, it's completely different in different markets. I mean, look, if you if you have tremendous equity appreciation, like everyone knows that reads the newspaper or, you know, people don't read the newspaper, either, they go online. Anyone that goes online. <laughs> newsletters. Guess, um, newsletters. Um, anyone that, that, that is, uh, wants some insight, I can share that the markets where people are migrating to are creating a lot of equity appreciation. So those markets tend to have a lot more attraction the markets where there's not mm-hmm. a lot of appreciation there's not a lot of equity that has been built up so states like new york and california are not as good as the states like texas georgia and florida as it relates to our business i was going to guess like mississippi uh, that's where i was going to use as like not getting a lot of traction but i, <laughs> well, I have no idea honestly well, I'll, t- I'll tell you something interesting like um if you go back like seven eight years ago the emerging market, like the, the the markets that were starting to get a lot of traction that previously were, were like Tennessee, um, mm-hmm. and you know Indiana and mm-hmm. Florida to some degree, Arizona, and now those markets have had so many people move in. They've got like Miami's insane the how expensive it is now. And by the way, at some point, yeah. I think it could be even more expensive than New York. Um, so. What's happening is you're going to start to see a new pattern of people going to places where there's a cheaper cost of living. So if I was putting my personal money into something, it would be places like Mississippi, Alabama, Ohio, Mm. um, you know, the states where you haven't heard that before because there's a huge opportunity there because the cost of living is so high. You're going to see a lot of people move out of those. You can't live in Miami if you're, you know, making $75,000 a year. It's going to be really hard. This is the moment in the show where I at least once talk about living in South Dakota and how much I want you all to experience here, but I also want none of you to come here and ruin it for me. (laughs) 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 It's it's actually really interesting that you talk about that because what we get a lot of people um, from Colorado, or at least that's that's the local hearsay, like all those people from Colorado are coming up here. And Colorado has been one of those destinations the last few years. It's really grown quite a bit of like getting away to going to and getting that kind of like you get the lifestyle where you can be in the city but also you can be in the middle of nowhere relatively quickly uh and it, you know offers that as well as a lot of hail on an annual basis the wonderful state of south south dakota there you go bam yeah do you know what our state dessert is 
uh, key lime pie. That's a good guess. Uh, it's called Kuchen. It's a uh, it's like a German cake, but it's not cake at all. It's more like a like a streusel kind of a pie ish. So that was a good guess, but not quite. Um, I want to talk about the actual circumstances. So we, like obviously life changes, things are happening, but like specifically, like what are those like? the big events. And I think this is important because it's kind of like outlines, like, you know, especially from your perspective, this provides a lot of color to the large real estate numbers that we see all the time. Like we'll see like people are selling, people are not selling. Well, okay. But what's really happening? Cause that's not really the life event. That's just like the outcome of other life events. So I'm curious what the life events you see that drive the decision. Hey, we're going to do a sale lease back. Hey, we're going to do the movability product. Yeah. So there's 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 macro events and there's specific life events and I think you're asking me about life events. The life event is um when people are asset rich and choice poor, it's not like they're not gonna find money. They're gonna have to find money somewhere because they gotta put food on mm-hmm. the table, right? So the life event is they have tapped into their credit cards, they've tapped into their bank accounts, and they're paying um unfair rates on their credit cards in the high 20s or low 30s and it's mm-hmm. just not sustainable and they look at their house and they're like this is an asset it's got this equity and i can actually ex- do an equity release if they learn about easy knock and the, the the biggest challenge is a lot of people don't know about easy knock that's why you know we're talking about it right now i want people mm-hmm. to understand it that when they're facing that stress and they're facing that they're looking at that asset and they're like, this can actually, I can pay off this debt, I can take control of my life. I can pay the medical bills for my kids, for my sister, for my parents, for me. That's the event. The event is they need money and they have equity. Got it. And when you're, when you're talking with people and you're bringing this idea to them the first time, what are, what are some of the most common objections that you're having to overcome or work through so that hey, this might sound like a new thing and new things kind of can be scary sometimes uh, to consumers, especially when you're talking about it's their home. It can be a little bit scary sometimes. Yeah. The three biggest objections we get are, one, they don't want to give up title psychologically. It feels like it's a loss to them, but it's only a piece Mm -hmm. of paper. But I understand that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Two is the rent's too high, even though we are market rent, because they're comparing it maybe to one in three of our customers don't even have a mortgage. And I would say the third one oh, is wow. if, if they have uh, no liens or, excuse me, if, if they're, they do have liens and stuff and we're giving up to 75% and there's not a lot of cash available at, after you pay off the liens, there's not enough cash in the transaction. Um, and we tend to discourage people if it's not a lot because it's not really going to solve their goal. But those are really probably the three biggest things that stand out to me. Got it. I, I wouldn't have even thought about that third one, but I, I suppose that makes sense. But one in three customers are owners without a mortgage. Yeah, and that reflects the United States. That's literally the stat in the U.S. And it, it 33% make, of homeowners? Yeah, because like if you think about it, like I, I my mom you know, lived in her house for four, because it was like the year I was born. I'm 46. So 46 years. She bought her house in 1977 for $67,000. Is your still intact? I I I I I I'm scared to look. Probably not. Um, no. <laughs> no. But, 
1977, she bought the house with my dad. And like that house has gone up, but you have a 30 year mortgage, you, you, you know, and you've been there for 46 years, it's paid off. And like, so it, that's oh. where the one third is coming from. And that generation, my parents' generation, that was a generation of not as much excitement about credit cards as, you know, my kids' generation or my generation. So they're very focused. They were very focused on paying down their debt. So that's where that, if you think about it, it, it obviously makes sense, but you know, it's always surprising even to myself when I first learned that until you think about it a little bit. I, I know I've seen like numbers are like thrown around a, a bit by that. I follow um, Logan. I never know how to say his last name from housing wire. And uh, I know yeah. I've seen him talk about like a high uh, percentage of people with without a mortgage, but I, I didn't realize it was that many people in the U S yep. and, and so it is an older, it's likely then also older demographic that yep. is going to hold on until they probably are not holding on to anything. Correct. Are you trying to say yeah. before they wow, die? Interesting. You can say that. People, everyone dies. We're, we're all going to die. <laughs> everyone dies. Well, you know, I was just trying to keep things positive here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I we're, we're, we, 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 we all can be positive, but, but we all know at some point we, we're going to meet our maker. Yeah, no doubt. Along the way, you know, now you guys have been at this game for several years. You're, you're getting a, the opportunity to go through some funky ups and downs the last few years. I'm curious about some of the experiments or lessons you've uh, performed or learned you know, during that time, did you ever along the way have some assumptions that turned out to be wrong and you had to kind of reverse course or maybe uh, stop going in a certain direction? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said before, I'm wrong all the time. Um, if you're not taking risk you're pr- and you're not making mistakes, I think you're doing something wrong. You got you got, you have to. Right. Uh, you know, I, when I was years and years ago, when I worked at Goldman Sachs, my boss said to me, scared money makes no money. Like you have to, you have to, you have to take some risks sometimes. So we, we've made, we've made mistakes. Uh, we've got into products that we thought were going to be great and haven't worked out too well directionally. We've, you know, focused on whether it's a partnership or, you know, we bought a company a few years ago called Farm, 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 Farmland Finder. And, um, you know, I thought farm that you know finder. farms were going to be one sale leasebacks because farmers need liquidity. And what happened was, is you know, after the Russian-Ukraine war started, uh, farmers relatively benefited because uh, you know with what happened over there with weed and everything. So it just the market didn't need liquidity. So I, my thesis was wrong on that one, as an example. And so, uh, actually, I want to. I'm going to run with that. So I know I know some of the acquisitions you've already made. You mentioned that one. I wasn't aware. Is that is that part of the company's growth strategy long term to continue on M and A, or is it only as things are um, you know an opportunity seems to present itself? There are many solutions out in the market today. So if you're a company like a mortgage company that wants to partner, you have to go to five different people for five different solutions. It's point to point solutions, and there's no platform out there. So we have we have a, a product as I described before, sell and stay. We talked about movability. We bought ribbon. We have a, a product called Buy Boost where you can buy down your rate. Uh, we're about to make an acquisition on a co ownership model. So we're going to be the first company. We are the consolidator, and that gives us economies of scale. It gives us efficiencies and allows our customers and our partners to have a one stop solution. Everyone talks about a one stop solution. 
We're, we're trying mm-hmm. to do that. That's very exciting. Um, I'm not going to press you on details of the, the ongoing talks of an acquisition until it's all uh, done and settled, but I can't wait to hear uh, exactly what you've got in the works here. One more broader question about the, uh, the, the market here. Uh, I, I'm assuming you've done some exercise to determine who might be or how many homes might be a, a fit for EasyKnock. What's the potential size of this market? for you guys? Or are you really seeing as like, hey, anyone who has a, a home is a potential customer? Anyone that has a home and can't qualify for a mortgage, but has built up equity, more than 50% of your equity in your home is a candidate for sell and stay. Anyone thinking about moving that needs a bridge can use movability. Um, if your FICO score, which is half the country is under 680, you're probably going to need us if you want to get the money out of your home. So there's there's millions of people. Very cool. All right, Jared, we're going to move to the bottom of the show. First segment of the bottom of the show is called For the Future. It's when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Can't wait. All right, let's do this. First one, what does Easy Knock look like one year from now? Uh, it, it's very similar to what I said before. I think we're going to have a multiple product company in one platform. Um, and, uh, there's going to be a number of different solutions out there. And I think that unfortunately you're going to see a lot of companies go out of business just because of what we talked about before. If you're just dependent on transactions in the housing market mm-hmm. and there are none, you can't create them. So fortunately for us, we have this these products that work in a in a counter cyclical matter just as way, as much as works when the economy's thriving. All right. Number two, possibly one of the meanest questions I've ever asked on this on the on the podcast. Describe the housing market of twenty twenty eight. Of twenty twenty what year? Oh, the housing market of twenty twenty eight. Wow, that's that's a good one. Um I, hmm. It's just far enough out of reach where anything could happen, but close enough to where we've got to have something prepped, ready to go. The average home has gone up 5.8% since 1967. And I think that, I think you'll see a little bit of a roller coaster over the next four years, but well, usually you revert to the mean if you, you study historically. So I think, you know, We'll, we'll see, you know, the housing market follow that trend. I think in the next two years, you're going to see some bumpiness and some dips, and then you'll revert to the mean, and then you'll start to move up. And and to clarify, five, five some percent per year. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I think it'll be down 10% over the next two years, but then you'll, it'll make up for it in 27 and 28, if I had to guess. Unless you're buying and I'll look younger. And I also think I'm going to look younger in 2028. After after my bone. What's pop. the secret? Because I've got way too much gray happening here. I just I don't know what's going on. I, I think the secret is, you know, I, I I Botox myself every day. I'm just kidding. I would never do that, but I don't judge people. <laughs> All right, number three here on four of the future. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Credit card debt. I think people are addicted to it. Debt people are addicted to and I wish it would go away, but we have a, we have a mindset that people have been born into. We talked about this earlier in the podcast, like the, the baby boomer generation 
did not like that. They think that, mm-hmm. you know, they pay things with cash. I, I, haven't, I haven't gone to an ATM machine in like four months. And that's the problem. Like if you're using money that's in front of you, you're going to be more responsible. So I wish people change. I wish more people actually use, do- you know, cash because it makes them more disciplined. And how that relates to the housing market is what I said before, is if people have too much debt, there's going to be a mm-hmm. major consequence. Just like when we ran up the debt in the U.S. government and everyone thought it can happen forever, there was a consequence. We had a, we had a spike in interest rates and 70% of the United States housing market, excuse me, 70% of the, the U.S. economy cannot deal with an unexpected bill of $400 or more. And that's happened to everyone yeah. in the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. I was just having this, uh, unfortunately, a conversation with a friend of mine and he, he literally spelled that out. He's like a $500 bill just killed us. Like yeah. they couldn't, couldn't cover the bill, you yeah. know, and uh, I hate hearing I hope that. He has equity in his home. Tell him to give us a call. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that one off the air here. Uh, <laughs> last one here for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I, I, I think that, the the way that real estate agents interact has been a fight for a very long time. Uh, I just I don't see how we can continue to have five to six percent commissions when the rest of the world has one percent. And I'm a huge advocate of the real estate. I believe that they 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 serve a major. Uh, they're very impactful in a transaction, but. Putting that aside, I'm not judging if it's right or wrong. I just don't think it's sustainable. And then with this recent mm-hmm. NAR ruling, I think it's going to change even more. So I think that's probably the biggest change that you're going to see in the industry. And then you're going to see yeah, technology find opportunities. There's a lot going on uh, at the moment. I'll tell you what, I had a very distinct light bulb moment one night. I was at the office in the bullpen late. Ben Kinney's office in in Bellingham, Washington. And, you know, I had left a software job or software company to, to work as a real estate agent. I remember sitting there and looking at all the chairs. I was like, are all of us really going to be necessary in the future? And what does that look like? And it's not that I thought that everyone's going to go away. And I have had, I've been wrong on some of my assumptions of the role of the agent in the future. But, you know, I think similar to travel, I just don't think it's going to be as aggressive. It's going to travel agents still exist. It's just the ones that do like provide high value to high value clients. Um, and I think that it's pretty much going to be, I think it's going to be similar with agents, but I think you're, you're, you're right on the, like the commission level. Um, any sales team in the world, if commissions are out of balance to the performance of the business, you adjust commissions because there's, you know, certain amount of value delivered on the sale. Um, if it's been the same value theory the last few years or, 20 years or so, then that probably some adjustment will be good for the market. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Look, if there's an industry that's making money that's not regulated, eventually it will be, whether it's like, you know, social media, real estate agents, Wall Street went through that for like 30 years and they're just going to move on because, you know, people are going to look for ways to uh, regulate and change uh, because people are going to complain and the, the way the world works. And you know, the smart people are always going to find a way to make money. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jared, last three. So our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? I am reading a book right now. Well, I'm reading a. I'm reading two books right now. I'm reading a book about um, uh, children. And actually, 
that book's not going to be interesting. I'm reading the uh, the biography of Priscilla Presley right now. Um, I you know the um, I just, the movie just came out. I was interested in reading it, and I'm reading a like book Elvis about, Presley. Uh, yeah, Priscilla Presley's uh, biography about you know with with Elvis Presley. Oh, okay. <laughs> the movie just came out, so it kind of sparked my interest a little bit. I'm not even an Elvis fan. I'm, I'm wearing my uh, my Johnny Cash shirt right Johnny now. Johnny Cash. There you go. Um, and I'm also reading a book about the history of Israel because, you know, I'm interested in what's going on there right now, too. Very cool. Number two, who are you learning from? Um, I love listening to podcasts and, and just listening to interviews from various different people. My favorite podcast I listen to is Scott Galloway, Kara Swisher, Pivot. I love that podcast. I think everything I, I think a lot of the things that they say just make sense. Hmm. Last one here. What inspires you? Um, I think people that are selfless inspire me, people that make sacrifices inspire me. So like anyone that serves in the military, I never served in the military. And I feel that, um, that that's something we're here today in this country because of people like that. And that always inspires me. Jared, it's been a lot of fun. I uh, really appreciate your time coming on the show, breaking things down, what Easy Knock is building and where the things are headed in the, the near future here. Before we close out, uh, for those who want to learn more about Easy Knock and or get in touch with you, where do they go and how do they do that? Just go to easyknock.com uh, or email. You can also email hello at easyknock.com if you, you want to learn more too. Um, and, you know, definitely get in touch with us. We, we want to help as many people as possible. And we want it to be right for you. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity to share what's going on at Easy Knock uh, with you today. Yeah, and of course, all those links will be contained in the show notes. You can find them on techness.io. Been a lot of fun. Hopefully, this the next time we are in the same place at the same time, we will not pass like ships in the night. We'll actually get a chance to connect in person. Thanks for listening to Technest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.